The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. You go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. By the way, next weekend we have water baptisms here at New Song Church. And water baptisms are a celebration. We party when we water baptize because that's what it is. It's a celebration, an outward display of what God has done on the inside. Uh, I used to teach in children's ministry. I would always tell the kids, when you get water baptized, it's kind of like you're putting on the jersey. You know, you put on the jersey. You're saying, I'm on team Jesus and I'm going to wear that proudly. And if you've never done that before, I want to encourage you to, to sign up, register to get water baptized. Uh, you can do that at newsongpeople.com or through the New Song app. And, and I'll say this too, because I think a lot of people fall into this category where maybe you got water baptized as a child, maybe you got sprinkled or you had a christening, or maybe you just had a moment where you got water baptized because everybody else is getting water baptized. But since you've really committed your life to you know, practicing the way of Jesus and pursuing him and going after him, you've never really made that decision and you kind of thought, well, I did that when I was a kid. I want to encourage you to make that decision for yourself. If you've never made that decision for yourself, to get water baptized. Get registered and let's celebrate you and party with you next weekend as we baptize some people and do those that kind of Christian 101. Like this is the basics. You've got to get water baptized. So make sure that you do that, all right? We're beginning a brand new series today called What Did Jesus Do? W-D-J-D. For some reason, it's so hard for me to remember that. W-D-J-D. What did Jesus do? And this series is all about looking at the actions of Jesus's life. And, and, you know, one of the great gifts that we have in the life of Jesus is not just that, you know, he came and he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave as, as incredible. I mean, that is, that's the game changer for us. But beyond that, the other great gift Jesus gave us is he came to this world and he lived a life that we can look at and that we can, we can learn from. We have this ultimate example in the life of Jesus and how we're to interact with people, how we're to interact with situations, how we're to interact with problems, how we're to, to model our life. You know, we talk about here at New Song Church, we want to help people know God and we want to practice the way of Jesus, right? So, so we look at the life of Jesus and we look at how he, how he dealt with certain situations so we can grow in our understanding of what we're supposed to do. Uh, Sarah and I were talking about this a couple months ago, and we were talking about how, you know, there's the, the red letter edition of the Bible, where you can look at it, and you can look at the Gospels, and you can very quickly identify the words that, that Jesus spoke, and we were talking about how it'd be kind of neat if there was like a green letter edition of the Bible, where you could, you could look and you could see the actions of Jesus's life, and so that's what this series is kind of a, about. It's about looking at how Jesus what he did in certain situations that, so we can draw wisdom and allow him to coach us in how we're to live our life, what we're to do. Our, our theme verse for this series is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 and 2. This is the message translation. I, I like how it reads. It says, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's sheer genius, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is, and Jesus and what he did. For, so, so for the next several weeks, we're, we're going to look at what Jesus did and, and study his life. And 
I want to encourage you. I think this is a great series for you to invite people to come to church with you. You know, it's a time of year when people are kind of getting back into the flow of life. And we've had a lot of people moving into our city. And this is a great time for you to reach out to some of those people, maybe new people in your neighborhood that, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out where they're going to go get groceries and where they get their, their gasoline. It's also a great time for them to know, hey, this is where you get fed by the word of God. This is where you connect with Jesus is up in this house. I want to encourage you to be inviting people to be a part of this series. So Matthew chapter four, let's pray and then we'll start to dig into this. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. And we, we take a moment right now to, to realize like we don't have it all figured out, but your word is, is light and it's life and it's truth. And so we come humbly and we submit to the truth of the word of God. We know that the, the truth can set us free and Lord, we need freedom. And so we thank you, Lord, that you would speak freedom and you would speak wisdom and you would speak direction to each person in this room, specifically to each person. Make it, make it known to them. Make them feel like this was custom said to them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take these words and I, I, I don't want this to be about me. I don't, I'm not trying to impress people. I want this to be people impressed with the love of God and the truth of the word over the next few minutes. So Lord, would you, would you come and would you have your way in this place? We know that you're here and we ask you to speak to us and draw us closer to you so that we can reflect your image in this world. We pray these things in Jesus name. Everybody said, amen. 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 As we kick off this series today, we're going to talk about what did Jesus do when he faced temptation? What did Jesus do when he faced temptation? Now, before I can get into what did Jesus do when he faced temptation, we need to understand a little bit about temptation, how temptation works, how, how the enemy influences us in our life with temptation so that we can recognize it, so that we can do what Jesus did whenever we're faced with temptation. So if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, you should be, write this down. Temptation affects everyone. The first thing you need to understand about temptation is that temptation affects everyone. That, that word temptation, one of the definitions of that word is to entice. And what Satan wants to do is he wants to entice these tempta with temptations. He wants to entice us to think the wrong kind of thoughts so that we'll do the wrong kind of things. He wants to influence us with sinful thoughts that lead to sinful actions. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm saved, so that's not going to be an issue for me anymore. Sorry, Charlie, that ain't the case, all right? If you think that just because you made Jesus Lord of your life, temptation is no longer going to affect you, that, that, that's not the way it's going to work. And if you think that you can get yourself to a place where you are righteous or holy enough that temptation no longer has a power in your life, again, sorry, that's not how it works. You will never arrive at a place on this side of heaven where temptation is no longer an issue. Now, you can become strengthened, and I'm going to show you how to do that, strengthened in overcoming temptation, but temptation is going to affect you. You're not going to get so holy that it doesn't affect you. Because listen, Jesus was perfectly holy. Jesus was without sin, and he faced temptation. The Bible says in Ephesians, or sorry, Hebrews 4.15, it says Jesus was tempted, tempted in every way. So listen, if Jesus was tempted, you better believe that you're going to be tempted in this life. There's going to be temptations that Satan brings against you. So temptation affects everyone. Second thing you need to understand is that temptation doesn't equal sin. Back to Hebrews 4.15, Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet it says, yet he did not 
sin. So if he faced temptation and he didn't sin, that means it's possible to face temptation and not sin. And that tells me that temptation itself is not sin. It's not the temptation that's the sin. It's what you do with the temptation. I love the way Billy Graham said it. He said, it's not the temptation you have, but the decisions you make about them that counts. So we all face temptation. Temptation doesn't equal sin. Here's the third thing you need to understand about temptation. Temptation is a drag. Temptation is a drag. James 1 verse 13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Listen, if you are dealing with a temptation, and just so you know, we all are, okay? We all have areas of our life where we are weak, where we can be easily tempted. So if you're dealing with a temptation in your life, a temptation to do something that you know is not the plan of God for your life, it's away from the will of God. If you're facing that, I want you to know it's not God placing that before you. That's not how it works. Goes on to say verse 14, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away. Notice temptation is a drag. They're dragged away by, look, look at this, their own evil desires and enticed. Notice where these temptations come from. They come from our own evil desires. You say, but wait a minute, again, Pastor Josh, I got saved. Shouldn't that not be an issue for me anymore? Well, well, here's what we don't always understand. We don't understand the difference between the moment of salvation and the process of sanctification. There's a moment of salvation that hopefully you've all experienced where you you commit your life to Jesus Christ. You look at the work that Jesus did on the cross. You you see it and you say, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I believe he was resurrected and I'm putting my faith and my hope and my life in his hands. I'm surrendering to him. I'm believing in my heart. I'm confessing in my mouth, with my mouth, that he is Lord. And in that moment, you have the moment of salvation where the Bible says you become born again and your old dead spirit becomes a alive in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says all things pass away and all things become new. Now, when that says that, it's talking about all things on a spiritual level. Because how many know when you became saved, the moment you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you didn't immediately go back into embryo state and become a little baby again. And you also didn't just forget every thought you've ever known. Like there wasn't this moment of amnesia where it's like, in Jesus' name, what? Like you don't, you, you still know stuff. And so here's the thing, if you had some bad thoughts, some bad actions, you had some hang-ups, some sinful stuff in you before you got saved, guess what? After you make Jesus the Lord of your life, some of that stuff is still there. How many of you know, the moment you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you didn't just all of a sudden start looking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, acting like Jesus, like that's not how it goes. Now, on a spiritual level, you have the ability to start walking in that direction, but not everything changes overnight. And so this is the difference. There's the moment of salvation. Now what happens is from that salvation that's taken place inside, we can begin to work out our salvation into the rest of us. We work it out into our thinking. We work it out into this fleshly part of us. We work out what God has already worked in. So we can come into agreement with who we are now in our born again spirit. This is good preaching. You guys aren't saying much to me though. Okay, so... So this is the process. And listen, it's, it's, it's from that place. It's from that fleshly old desires, from that old nature that Satan begins to tempt you. It's from that brokenness of this world that we live in and the brokenness of sin and the brokenness of our flesh that Satan begins to come at you and tempt you. It says in verse 14, James 1, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. That word dragged away means 
means to be drawn out, to, to pull out, look at this, from under a covering. That word entice means to be lured by bait. So a great way to think about this is think about fishing. Anybody ever been fishing before? We're Okies, we fish, right? We fished. And when you fish, like the name of the game is, is fishing, right? That you're, you're going out there to catch fish. And to catch fish, there's a process of deception that takes place where you are trying to deceive that fish into taking a bait. You're trying to lure it away from its environment that it's in, take it out from its covering into your environment where it can be destroyed. So what you do is you, you first of all, you have to identify the fish that you're going after. Why? You want to know that fish so you know what that fish is enticed by. What is it that's going to be attractive to that fish? What is it that you can put on your rod and reel that you can lure out there for that fish that they're going to see it and that fish is going to be like, oh, oh, hey, that looks good. I mean, think about it. The fish is just minding his own business, doing his fishy thing, you know, blowing bubbles. And all of a sudden, bloop, something shows up. You ever been there before? Just minding your own business, and all of a sudden, something shows up, and you're like, oh, what's this? And something shows up, and the fish looks at it, and he's like, that looks kind of interesting. I like the color of that. I like the way that moves. The olfactory senses are kind of kicking in here, like, well, that smells good. And so you look at it, and you keep looking at it. And a good fisher, what do they do? They cast, and they recast, and they keep placing that in front of that fish because they're trying to catch the fish. And the fish keeps looking at it, the fish gets closer to it, the fish is paying more attention to it, and eventually, what does the fish do? It opens up its mouth, and it bites down. And what the fish doesn't know is that there's a hook in the lure. So I mean, you write this down, there's a hook in the lure. And the hook is designed to capture you, and to draw you out, and to pull you away. What that fish doesn't know is by biting down, it's actually going to cost that fish everything. And this is how the enemy works in temptation. He comes at us and he presents something to us. And, and guess what? The, like the devil, he, he ain't stupid. He's been fishing a long time for people. And he knows you. He knows your kind. And he's watched you. And he knows what you might be attracted to. What might tempt you. And listen, it's not a one-size-fits-all temptation. You're, what may tempt you may not tempt the person beside you. What you may be dealing with, what you may be struggling with, may not be something that your spouse is struggling with, may not be something that your friends are struggling with, but he knows you. So he begins to dangle that thing in front of you, designed to draw you away, designed to hook you and capture you and pull you away. What's it designed to do? It's designed to pull you away from God, to draw you away from, from God's voice, from God's protection, from God's provision, from, from who God's called you to be, from the right, the right way of thinking, is designed to pull you away and ultimately is designed to lead to your destruction. There's a hook in the lure. Now, Satan can't make you do anything, but he can sure make sinful stuff look bad. So that's what he does. He plays on your appetites. He plays on your emotions. He plays on this stuff. But the good news is you can overcome temptation. I'm here to tell you today, you can overcome temptation. It's not automatic, but you can do it. If you'll submit your life to God in His ways, it's possible. 
So let's talk about that. Well, there's two aspects to what did Jesus do related to temptation I want to show you today. The first is actually we're going to look at these temptations Jesus faced, and we're going to observe what he did so that we can, like him, begin to practice what he did when we're facing temptation. But then there's another aspect, and that's what did Jesus do in, from the sense of what he did at the cross and how that affects you related to temptation. Because I want you to know something. You actually have something related to temptation that Jesus didn't have when he was faced with temptation. You have Jesus. <laughs> you have him with you. And he wants to help you. And there's a power he can bring to the temptations that you are facing. Somebody say amen. amen. So Matthew chapter 4, let's dig into this. Matthew chapter 4, let me set this up for you. Jesus is 30 years old. He's just starting off in his ministry. He's performed the miracle of turning water into wine at this point. He's been water baptized. And then right after this, he is led into this wilderness. Look at this with me, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I want you to, to, to hear this. This is big. You know, we talk in the church world about how, you know, the devil's going to come against you. The devil's going to tempt you. To, really, when we talk about that, what we're talking about is demonic influence. Because very rarely, probably not anyone in here has been directly tempted by the devil. Like, remember this. The devil is not like God. He's not, like, omnipresent. He's finite. He can only be in one place at one time. So he's somewhere right now doing his thing, but... but him directly affecting you, that, we don't always face the, 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 the prince of darkness, but that's what Jesus faced. Jesus had the devil himself tempting him, putting temptations in front of him. It says, verse 2, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry, which is like the, you know, most duh verse in the Bible, it feels like. <laughs> But, but really, it's not, it's not just talking about like hungry, like we know hungry, like we're hangry, like give me a Twinkie or something. It's not that. Jesus was actually moved beyond just hunger to a place of starvation. So, so get this, from a physical place, he was weak. What you're going to see is from a spiritual place, he ain't weak at all. He is strong in the spirit. He's been fasting. He's been connecting with God. He's, been, he's, he's in a strong place. Verse 3, now when the tempter came to him, that's the devil, he said, here's temptation number one. If you are the son of God, command these stones, these rocks that are around you, command these stones to become bread. But he answered, Jesus, he answered and said, I want you to say these next three words with me. It is written. Let's try that again. It is written. That's not the last time I'm going to ask you to do that. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The first temptation that Jesus faces here is he was tempted in his appetites. He was tempted in his appetites. You know, we live in a world today where appetites tend to be a driving force for how people live their life and the decisions people make. Our appetite for food, our appetite for sex, our appetite for, this is when I said sex, I saw several heads pop up. That word just grabs people. <laughs> sex, whoa. There it is, appetite. <laughs> Our appetite for possessions. We have these appetites, and, and what can happen is, if we're not careful, our appetites begin to lead. Now, now listen, appetites are not in themselves bad. What, what the devil wants to do is he wants to take appetites. Like having an appetite to eat is not bad. Having a, a sexual appetite is not bad. It's what you do with that. 
And what, God, what, what Satan wants to do is he wants to take godly appetites and get you to use them in ungodly ways. And that's what he's trying to work with Jesus here. He's trying to get him to fulfill a godly appetite outside of God's will for his life, to move outside of God's will, to do this his way instead of God's way. But we have appetites, and, and, and very often, if we're not careful, we will bow down to the altar of our appetites. And we allow our appetites to lead. But Jesus displays something here. He displayed this, that appetites don't lead. Those ungodly, fleshly appetites, they don't lead. Truth is what leads. Jesus says, it is written. He's saying, listen, I'm not living my life just based on what I want. I'm living my life based on what God wants, based on the truth of his word. And this is so big because this is the difference between life and death in our life. See, tomorrow you're going to go into an atmosphere in your workplace, in your schools this week. Uh, you're going to go into your gym. You're going to go into different ap atmospheres where the, the enemy of your life is going to dangle stuff in front of you designed to, to, to be attractive to your appetite. And the question in that moment is, what's going to lead? Do my appetites bow to truth or does truth bow to my appetites? This is something we need to wrestle with because if you don't come to terms with, I believe the word of God is truth and my life is submitted to God's word, not just my, my fleshly appetites. My, I, I have appetites for the things of God. Listen, that's good. You want to have a godly appetite. We want to hunger and thirst for the word of God. You should hunger and thirst to be in the presence of God. You should hunger for that. That's submitting your life and your appetites to God's word and not allowing your appetites to determine how you're going to live your life. You tracking with me? So does truth bow to appetites or does appetites bow to truth? Jesus displayed that, that the truth is what he's living his life based on. Here's temptation number two, Matthew 4, 5. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for, say this with me, it is written. Now, I don't know if you just caught that. This is the devil talking. And now he's running that play on Jesus. Like the first temptation, Jesus threw the Bible in his face, and so now he's going, okay, to complete this game, let me tell you what the Word of God says too. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. It's important that you understand the devil, he knows what the Word says. And he knows how to take the Word out of context to bring a lot of confusion into this world. And there's been a lot of ugly stuff that's been done in the name of, of, of God that had nothing to do with the heart of God and the character of Jesus in this world by people who didn't really submit fully to the word of God. They took one verse based on what they felt and what they wanted and they took it out of context. And that's what the devil will do. He'll throw the word at you a certain way to try to trick you and tempt you into doing the wrong thing. And that's why you need to know the whole of what the word of God is all about and the character of the God behind his word. So Jesus understands that. So what does he say? He says, Jesus said to him, it is written. Say it with me. It is written. Again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Here's the second temptation that Jesus faces. He was, he was tempted in approval. Notice what it says. It says, then the devil took him up into the holy city to set him on the pinnacle of the temple. This was a place where he would be, uh, beneath him would be a whole bunch of people. A big crowd of people would have been there. And what Satan is doing is this. He said, hey, Jesus, if you jump off here, you know what's going to happen. You jump off here and your angels are going to catch you and all these people are going to see it. 
And, and immediately you're going to win their approval. They're going to start to applaud you. They're not going to see you as like the carpenter's son. They're not going to just say, oh, that's just Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth. He's a woodworker, you know, whatever. They're going to say, that's the Messiah. That's the guy. You're going to win their applause. You're going to win their approval. You can do all that without having to do any of this other stuff. You can have that right now in this moment. It was a temptation for approval. It was a temptation to receive something that he didn't, already have. Now, let me remind you of what had taken place at this moment. When Jesus faces this temptation, Jesus has already been water baptized at this moment. And it was at the water baptism that his, appeal, his approval rating is through the roof. You guys remember this? He goes under the water and he comes up and God himself says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So get this, Jesus has the approval of God but he doesn't quite have the approval of people. And the, and the lie, the test and the temptation that Satan is bringing before Jesus in this moment is whose approval really matters to you. Now this is big because where you look for approval is where you'll give your allegiance. And we, leave, we live in a world today where a lot of people, they want the approval of the world. They want the approval of people around them. They don't, they, don't want, they don't want the world to look at them and say, you're different. You're not doing this the way we are. And so we, we bow down to the altar of approval and we allow the approval of the world to determine the actions of our life, the decisions that we make. But Jesus displayed something different. He said, if I have the approval of God, that's all that matters. And I want you to know, if you have the approval of God, if God looks at your life and applauds your life, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. See, we're, gonna, we're, we're in a world where there's people that are going to try to, like, traveling the road that God has called us to is the road less traveled. And there's going to be people, like in the life of Jesus, who are going to look at you and say, I don't like the way you're doing this. In this world, they're going to look at you and they're going to say that. But, but if you know that God approves, that's all that matters. If, God's, if God applauds you, that's what really matters. And so you, you have to get this, that... You have the approval of God. Listen, if you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you have God's approval. And as you begin to live your life conformed to his word, allowing him to transform you through his word, then God looks at your life and he says, I approve, I approve. And, and when you make decisions based on the word, even if the world says, I don't approve, you know that you have God's approval and that's all that matters. Where you give your approval is where you'll give your allegiance. Here's temptation number three. Matthew 4, 8, again, the devil took him to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. In, in Luke's account of this same temptation, verse, Luke 4, verse 5, it says, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. So he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world, like all that for, for all time. It was a glimpse into this, this realm. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. Now it's important that you understand this was a legit offer from Satan. Like Satan could offer this because what happened, if you remember in the Garden of Eden, God put, puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and he gives them authority and, and, and they're allowed to rule and reign in this world. But what do they do? They sin. And the Bible says when they sin, they hand that authority over to Satan. And so Satan has that authority now. And so what Satan is saying is, hey, I can, I can give you 
this authority that I have. I can offer it to you right now. Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, how is this a temptation to Jesus though? Like it's, it's Jesus. Jesus is going to die on the cross. He, like he knows what's coming. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to be resurrected. And then eventually he's going to sit at the right hand of God. And eventually he's going to have a name above every name, a name the Bible says that at, at his name, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. Eventually he's going to have all that. So how is this a temptation to him? Here's the temptation. The temptation's in that word, eventually. You see, Satan is tempting him to fast forward. He's, the temptation is to accelerate. Satan tempted him to fast forward and to pursue, to lay down the promise of of tomorrow for the potential of what could happen today. And man, this is how the devil works in our life. So often the devil gets us to sacrifice the eternal for the temporal. He dangles in front of us things that, that, that feed this idea of what we want in the moment rather than what is of eternal value to our marriage, what's, it, what's of eternal value to our children, what's of eternal value to the people around us. We sacrifice that for, for a moment. But I love Jesus, that he wasn't focused on just his glory and his appetite. He was focused on our glory, on bringing us to a place of glory, bringing us to a place where we could be sons and daughters and be brought into the presence of God. Oh, thank God that Jesus was willing to take the road less traveled. But listen, if we're going to overcome temptation, we have to learn to move beyond the temporal and see the eternal to look and, and move beyond the, the things that the enemy is offering us now for the things that God offers us in the future. Jesus says, Matthew 4, verse 10, he says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you, shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came, and they ministered to him. Jesus, Satan attacked Jesus with temptations that were built upon half-truths and lies. And Jesus was able to combat every one of those. Why? Because he knew the word of God. He was submitted and he was submitted to the word of God. What did Jesus do? He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Every time Satan came at him, he said, it is written. So, so here's something important for you to understand. When the devil comes at you to attack you, he attacks you in these fleshly desires. It all really is rooted in your mind. The mind is the primary battlefield where Satan is going to tempt you. In fact, that's how it's always been. Remember in the Garden of Eden when Satan came to Adam and Eve and began to start to tempt them with the sin? He starts by saying, has the Lord surely said? It's a mind battle. He's getting them to start to question, is God, is this really true? Is God really who you think he is? And this is how the devil's been working and this is how he continues to work. But you can overcome through the blood of Jesus and by the word of God. Jesus came to set you free with truth. John, John 8.32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What is truth? Well, the Bible says, Thy word is truth. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So listen, the freedom you need from temptation is found in the word of God and in the work of Jesus. If you're taking notes, that's worth writing down. The freedom that you need from temptation if you find yourself being overcome by temptation, the freedom you need is found through the word of God and by the work of Jesus. Amen. It's interesting in, in John chapter 19, 
We're given this kind of extra detail about the cross and the location of the cross. It says that when Jesus went to the cross, the cross was on this hill called Golgotha. And Golgotha means the place of the skull. And it was called that because this hill literally looked like a skull. It looked like it had a human face in the side of it. In fact, I've got a picture of what this looked like. You can kind of see, you know, the, those two holes in the top, kind of like an eye and a nose and a mouth there. Now, now, think about this for just a moment, okay? Jesus is crucified on a hill that looks like a human skull. Like he could have been crucified on a hill that looked like anything. It could have looked like a hand, a foot, an elbow. It could have looked like something. It could have looked like nothing. But it looked like a human skull. Why? Well, it wasn't just like a coincidence. Like this was God demonstrating something. This was God demonstrating the battle of freedom that Satan was defeated upon. Jesus came to set you free in your mind. His blood dripped down on a hill that looked like a human skull to show that Jesus can bring freedom to your thought life, to the temptations that are coming against you. You can be free from temptation, but it's not automatic. So how do we overcome these temptations? Well, what did Jesus do? First of all, we see in the life of Jesus that he was submitted in his mind to the word of God. So if we're going to defeat temptations, we submit our minds to God's word. Isaiah 59 verse 19 gives us uh, some insight into how the enemy, Satan, works against us in temptations. It says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. So, so one of the tactics of the enemy to draw you away from God, to drag you into destruction, is he is a flutter. And he wants to flood you with tempting thoughts. He wants to flood you with thoughts that could lead to gossip. Thoughts that could lead to anger. Thoughts that could lead to lust. Thoughts that can lead to all sorts of sinful behavior. So he, he floods you with these thoughts. But the Bible says that the Spirit of God will lift up a standard against him. The Spirit of God is talking about the Holy Spirit, who Jesus told, tells us in the New Testament, I will send to you and he will lead you and guide you in all truth. And that's what it's talking about when it talks about the standard. The Holy Spirit, your helper, will lift up the standard of the truth of the Word of God to help you to overcome the temptations that Satan is bringing against you. But listen, he can't lift up a standard you don't understand. Okay, let me, let me illustrate this for you, all right? When I was uh, growing up in the 80s, uh, it was like this awesome time. I was an 80s kid, and I'm telling you the 80s was just ripping awesome, okay? <laughs> and mid-80s, it was like skateboarding and BMX biking. Like, that stuff was taken off. And I got this incredible BMX bike when I was about eight years old. How many of you remember that, that BMX bike that I had when I was eight years old? <laughs> you didn't think I was going there. But, but you don't remember. You know why you don't remember? Because you don't know. You've never been told what my BMX bike was from when I was eight years old. So let me help you with this, all right? Guys, throw that up here. This is the kind of bike I got, a Kuahara Magician. I, I put this up last night, and Sarah was like, that bike looks like a girl's bike. I was like, it was the 80s. Neons, we did it different, okay? We had white tires. But this, I'm telling you, that was a cool bike. You didn't get that bike at Walmart. You got that bike. You had to go to like a store that had a weird name, and I had to lay that thing away. I'm coming in every week, seven bucks, mowed the lawn, boom, going to get this sucker. And when I got that, I was the neighbor, I was the talk of the neighborhood. It was a bad bike. Okay, so somebody say Kuahara. Kuahara. 
Kuwahara is what it is. It, what color is that bike? Blue. Blue. What color are the tires? Blue. Okay, take it down. All right, when I was a kid growing up in the 80s, I got this awesome bike when I was about eight years old. How many of you remember what that bike was? Yeah, hopefully a lot of you. What was it called? Blue. What color was it? Blue. What color were the tires? Blue. See how that works? This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to remind you of the truth of the word of God. But, but listen, for some of you, he's trying to help you, but you're not giving him any material to work with. When temptation comes against you, he wants to say, hey, let me remind you of what Jesus did for you. Let me remind you of, of, what, of who you're called to be. Let me remind you of what freedom really looks like. He wants to remind you of this stuff, but you haven't given him any material. See, listen, you can't, like Jesus, say it is written if it hasn't been written on your heart and in your mind. The Bible says it will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. You have to send it into your heart so it can accomplish the purpose that it's sent so that when, when the time comes and temptation comes, the Holy Spirit can lift up the standard of the truth of the Word of God to help you overcome. But you can't do that if it is not written. Somebody says, good stuff. Remembrance means to cause to remember. You can't remember something you don't know. So you've got to get in the Word. You've got to read it. You've got to study it. You've got to meditate on it. You've got to think about it. You've got to recite it. You've got to say it so it gets down deep inside of you. So you're giving the enemy some material that can destroy him when the time comes. 2 Corinthians 10 talks about this more. It says, we tear down arguments and every presumption. A presumption is an idea. It's a bad idea. It's one of those tempting thoughts that's exalted against the knowledge of God. It's a thought that, that, that goes against what really it means to know God. And we take, every, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Notice, who takes these thoughts captive? We do. Who's we? We is me. We is you. Look at the person beside you and say, you are we. We got to do this. Listen, the Holy Spirit won't do it for you. God won't do it for you. We take captive. What does that mean? We take captive. We tap, take captive means we take those thoughts by force. That's what captive means. And we make them obedient. Obedient means they listen under. So a thought comes into your mind that's contrary to God's word. Here's what we're, we're called to do. We're called to take those thoughts. We're called to take them by force and force them to sit under what the word of God has to say. And if the word of God says they can stay, they can stay. But if they don't agree with what we know about the word, what we know in the word of God and what we know about God, then they have to go. We send them running. We send them fleeing. This is what God's called us to do. This is taking our thoughts captive. You have to do this. That's what Jesus did. Satan brings temptations to him. And what does he say? He says, it is written. He forces those thoughts to sit under what the word of God has to say. And he sends them running and he sends the enemy running. See that the word of God is a weapon. It's designed to help you. It's designed to bring strength to your life, but you have to get in it. You have to know, you have to study it to show yourself approved. Amen. Here's number two. What did Jesus do? First of all, we look at what he did and we begin to live our life like him, but we also understand fully what he accomplished. Here's the second thing. We partner with the overcomer. If you're going to win against temptation, you have to understand fully what Jesus accomplished for you at the cross. See, whatever temptation you may be facing in your life, that temptation at its root springs forth from the same temptations that Jesus had to face. Hebrews 4.15, it says Jesus was in all ways tempted, just as we are. 
See, whatever temptation you're dealing with, all those temptations are rooted in, in wanting to do life our way uh, and wanting it to do it based on our desires, wanting to live our life based on our glory apart from God. That's how the enemy tempts us. And so Jesus faced all that and then some because he was tempted by Satan himself. And yet Jesus overcame. Jesus won against those temptations. And because he won now, he's able to bring something to us in the middle of our temptations. Look at this, Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Therefore, in all things he, talking about Jesus, he, capital H, he, had to be made like his brethren, like us. That he might be, notice, notice who he wants to be. This is so beautiful. A merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining, pertaining to God to make propitiation. That means to make atonement. That means to fix the problem for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted. He suffered against these temptations. The temptations Satan brought against him. He had to sit under that for 40 days. He suffered that. He is able, look at this, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. So not only can Jesus relate to temptation, the root of the temptation you're dealing with, he can relate to that. But beyond that, he can aid you in this temptation that you're facing. And I'm telling you, it is beautiful when you really understand what that means. Let me help you understand. Is able means to have the power and authority to achieve the desired action. And then aid means to run to give relief and comfort for the purpose of assisting the person in need. So get this, when you're facing temptation and you invite God into that temptation, you say, Jesus, I need you. He comes running to you and he runs to you with exactly what you need to overcome the temptation. He comes running with the strength to overcome and to push it aside and to have victory over it. But you have to call on him. He can't come running if you don't invite him. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone, somebody say everyone. everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Psalm 46, 1, God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in our time of need. But the tendency is we face temptation and we tend to hide. We face them and we try to deal with them on our own. But, but I, what I love in Hebrews 4.15, after it says Jesus wasn't always tempted, in verse 16, it says this, let us therefore, what's the therefore? Therefore, it's there to remind you of what Jesus just said. Because I faced all these temptations, look at this, come boldly to the throne of grace. Not with your head hanging, not thinking that Jesus is mad at you and angry with you and so disappointed and can't believe and is disgusted by what you're doing. No, no, no. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. That word obtain means that we claim something for ourselves, take hold of something that we can use. Listen, we all have weaknesses. We all do. There's an area of your life that you are susceptible to the temptation of the devil. And he knows it. And he's going to dangle something in front of you. And apart from God, you will lose. You need a savior to help you in that area of temptation. And the good news is you have one. You have a savior. He's a very pleasant, present help in the time of need. He wants to come alongside you. He wants to aid you in the middle of your temptation, but you have to invite him in. And when you invite him in, it says that we receive mercy and we find grace. This is so beautiful. The word, that word grace means that he provides you with a strength in the middle of the temptation. 
And that word mercy means to weaken the strength of the temptation against us. So get this, he wants to strengthen you in the middle of your temptation and he wants to rip the teeth out of that temptation against you. He wants to give you more power and kick some of the power of the temptation against you. But you can't have it if you don't invite Jesus in. You have something Jesus didn't have. It's beautiful. You have Jesus in the middle of your temptation. Such good news. So listen, the freedom you need from temptation is found in the Word of God and in the work of Jesus. So what did Jesus do? W-D-J-D. What did He do when He faced temptation? Well, first of all, we look at His life and we see He was submitted to the Word of God. He knew it. He understood it. And because of that, He could identify the lie. He could identify the half-truth. And He was able to use the Word as a weapon to send the enemy packing and to overcome. And what did Jesus do? He wasn't always tempted so that he could relate to you and bring strength to you. He died on the cross and made a way so you could step into new life, so that you could be an overcomer, not just overcome, but so you could overcome. So what do we do? We submit to the word and we call on the name of the Lord that we might be saved. Can I help you today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.